Father, once again we come before you in prayer. And Lord, we're asking that you would take this service. We have dedicated it to the worship of Jesus Christ, your Son, and you. And Lord, that you would direct each part of this service. That we would honor and glorify you in our hearts. And Lord, that the work that you would be able to do in, in our lives here this morning would prepare us and strengthen us to live for you through this coming week. We pray that our worship would be real. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing, if you would. And let's go to Galatians chapter 4. And uh, last Thursday night, we just finished the entire book of Galatians verse by verse. But I uh, did want us to go... Back to this this specific verse and, and its general context here. Uh, as we are in the Christmas season and uh, enjoying those things, uh, I love it when even the world stops. You can hear Christmas carols on Steinway Street. You hear a lot of other garbage too, but at least you hear the Christmas carols. Amen? And, uh, and uh, people pay at least a little bit of attention. And uh, I'm going to keep saying Merry Christmas uh, until they put me in jail. Amen? And, uh, and I don't worry about what's on my coffee cup either. Uh, I'm not going to waste time trying to fight against all the people who don't care. Uh, what I want to do is help the people who do to understand the truth of the Savior. And if the other people get irritated along the way, I can enjoy that too, can I? No, no, try not to too much. Uh, we, we want to give the truth. But here in this one verse, and I just want to read the one verse this morning, and then we'll come back, get the context, and try to put this all together. As Paul was explaining to the Galatians the relationship between the law of God and the grace of God, he puts this verse in chapter 4, He said, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, Paul was not specifically trying to explain everything that happened in Bethlehem's manger right here. That was not his main purpose. His main purpose was moving toward this idea that we are not in a position uh, as a servant of God, though we should serve Him with our lives, but God has wanted, God wants to elevate us to a much higher position. And that is the relationship of a son, a, a member of his family. Um, we, we all know stories, and, and uh, most of us have said that at one time or another. Many of the people in this church are closer to us than our actual families are. And, and that's the way God has designed it. But, but there's a, a special relationship here when, when you have the same last name. When you are born into a family, there, there's a connection there 
that, that cannot be broken. And, and this is what the Bible tells us that God wants to have with you and I. He wants that closeness. He wants that relationship. Often tongue-in-cheek, uh, I, I like to say home. That's where they have to let you in. Amen? Uh, home is where you belong. That's when you show up, they open the door. Uh, and God says, listen, I want that relationship. And as I was looking up this passage, I, I figured oh, I'll just type it in real quick. And I typed in the fullness of time. And you know what my computer did? No such passage found. Because it's not the fullness of time. Look what it says. Verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come. You know, computers are incredibly fast, accurate, and stupid. They don't think. They can only do what you tell them to do. And because I didn't put of the in there, it didn't find the passage. Now, I knew where it was, so I just looked it up. And then I, oh, you know, I missed something important there. And we need to understand that God had this planned. Now, May I just say once again, we are not Calvinist. The Calvinists aren't wrong about everything. But they're wrong about so much that we do not want to be identified in any way, shape, or form uh, with that thought process, that approach to the Scriptures. But that does not mean that God did not have a plan, that God did not have His time clock, His clock wound up, And God did things in His order and His time. Now, let's get the greater context of this. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now I say then that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, this is a passage that I want us to look at this morning. Before the fullness of the time came, those that had faith in God, it tells us here, were just like a child, though he be Lord of all. I mean, if you, we have heard this instance, this happening in history. Uh, it happened in the Bible several times where an eight-year-old or ten-year-old would be the king of Israel. Now, do you think the counselors and the generals of the army all gathered around an eight-year-old boy, all of which uh, we send down to children's church uh, during the main church service? And there, there's reasons for that. 
uh, we want a, a service for them on their level, number one. Uh, and number two, it's okay to squirm a little bit in children's church, but it can be distracting up here during the worship service. And so we send the little children downstairs. And it's helpful. It's a teaching process so they can learn that when they get a little older how to behave and sit in the main service. But could you imagine the general going getting down on his knees so he can look into the face of an eight-year-old boy and say, what are your orders, sir? Is that very realistic? What, what kind of a general would do that? Not a very smart one, I'll tell you that. You see, little children have to be taught and trained. And you know what? Little children don't know how to do things as they ought to. Would a little child be able to plan his menu or her menu? I mean, we've had presidents who've taken broccoli off the menu list because they don't like it. Let me tell you, broccoli is good for you. It's not the only thing good for you, but... You, you need to learn these things. And the only way you're going to be learning them if someone makes you learn. How many of you remember that mean teacher that just wouldn't let you sit there and do nothing in the classroom? Is anybody, is anybody fortunate enough to have a teacher like that? I know Brother Franz is that kind of teacher. Because he's got a little bit of this book inside of him. You don't want to just sit there and get a paycheck. That's not what being a teacher is. You're trying to teach people. And no one wants to naturally learn. We, we think we do. But really, the reason why you enjoyed class or enjoyed learning was because you had a good teacher. How many of you have ever had a bad teacher trying to teach you good things? I mean, I had some professors that made the Bible boring. I don't know how you do that. I remember one professor, we spent two 50-minute class periods. And he was trying to define the Greek word, ekklesia, church. I can remember sitting there going, I am going to lose my mind. If this guy goes on about this any longer. I mean, a church is an assembly of believers that have coveted together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ according to his Bible. That's the definition of a Christian church. After a hundred minutes of how it was used in the Greek, in the Koine Greek, in the classical Greek, and and this and that and that. I was just sitting there going, Oh, Lord, protect me. I'm going to get up and say something and get kicked out of this class. And i got to pass it in order to graduate. Uh, why do we make things like that? Is because we're trying to show how educated we are as teachers. That's not a good teacher. You see, a good teacher makes you want to learn. And that's what 
the Old Testament is all about. It's about God teaching. Not only his people Israel, but for all who will learn. But I will tell you, do you know what the value of your first four years in college is? The value of your bachelor's degree? You know how many people have asked to see my diploma since I graduated college? I, 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 I couldn't give you names, but it's less than the fingers on one hand. Let me tell you, the, the, the value of your first four years in college is this. It's the discipline that it took to get your name put on the piece of paper. That, that's the value. Because no matter what you do, you have to take classes that you don't want to take. You have to pass tests. And here's what it's simply saying. It says that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed. Now, this is what the law was about. To demonstrate faith... In the Old Testament times, up until the very time that Jesus resurrected from the grave, if you were going to demonstrate faith in God, you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and fulfill the laws that in the Bible that were concerning how you ought to behave and the sacrifices that need to be brought and the participation uh, that was required by the laws of God. People talk about, well, I'm getting to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. And my favorite question is, what are you going to do with the other 603? And they always look at me kind of strange. And I say, well, there are 613 laws as recorded by the rabbis in our Old Testament. Uh, are some of them less important than the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments was the preamble. It was the covenant, is what the Bible calls us. It was the preliminary agreement. But if you wanted to demonstrate faith, you had to learn all 613 and participate in them in agreement with the Scriptures. That's what the Jewish culture and world was all about in Jesus' day. How many of you would like to have to memorize all 613 laws? I don't see any hands going up. You know, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, and we've said this often, but they had to be able to quote Genesis, the whole book. Exodus, the whole book. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, without chapter divisions, without verses, they had to memorize the text of those books That was question one on the entrance exam to becoming a Pharisee. I praise God that I don't have to become a Pharisee. Amen. But what we have here is that if you're going to express faith in God, you had to spend time in the laws of God. And not only did you have to live them uh, when you came to Jerusalem to offer your sacrifices, etc., you had to live them when you were at home. You had to be living in the law. 
And I will tell you this, if you try to live in the law according to what the Bible says, here's what you're going to find out. I break the law. I can't do it all. Well, that's what the sacrifices were for. I mean, what would you do if every time you told a lie, you had to show up at the temple in Jerusalem with a ram and a lamb and uh, several other animals to offer as sacrifices? So, I don't know, I'd go bankrupt. Especially in the month of April when I fill out my income tax report, right? No, you better not lie on that. Let me tell you, you're going to get in trouble. But... Here's what Paul is telling the Galatians here, is a little child, even though he is the ruler of the entire realm, he does not exercise authority until he comes of age. Until that point, he is being trained, he is being taught, he is being prepared so that when he comes of age... He will not rule his people like a child, but would rule them in the ways that would be beneficial uh, to the nation and would lead them in the paths that would bring peace and prosperity to their country. Uh, This is just common sense, isn't it? And, And Paul says, listen, even we, when we were children under bondage, We're in bondage under the elements of the world. Listen, our life, before you were saved, was about all the wrong things you did. You know, every once in a while, one of my children will say to me, But Dad, I did some good things. Why are you punishing me for the bad things? Well, the good things don't excuse the bad things, do they? We, we live in a world where thank you has, and, and praise has become such a part that people expect praise for the least little thing when at the very same moment they have huge, extraordinary flaws that need to be addressed. Do you get that? You see, the law is not about the good things that you've done. The law is about all the bad things you've done. That's why if you break the law once, you lose eternity. And so we're under bondage. (coughs) If you lived in the days of Jesus, you had to express your faith by keeping the laws, by doing all of these things. Then we get to verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come. The Bible tells us before the foundation of the world, before Jesus said, before God said, it is light on the first day of creation, He knew there'd be a cross. He knew there'd be a tomb. He knew there'd be a resurrection. That was God's plan. And He knew... When it was going to happen, he just didn't tell us. We just finished 
about 3,200 miles of driving this week. Left Monday morning, got back last night about 9 o'clock. If I look a little tired this morning, that's why. Amen. But uh, it was a good trip. Praise the Lord. He kept us safe and uh, the van running well. And, and uh, uh, we, we made uh, all, all that time. And uh, so often as you make a long trip, my kids have learned not to ask, when are we going to get there? Because I'll tell them tomorrow. Because that's when we are going to get there. Uh, they, they now ask, Dad, when are we going to stop next? Oh, in about five hours. No! Yes, no. We, we stop when we need to, but not in between. You just can't when you're driving those long distances. But how many times have we asked God, when are you going to do this? I mean, we're waiting for something right now, are we not? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're waiting for His return. It's been nearly 2,000 years since that promise was given. And people have scoffed at that and said, well, Jesus isn't coming back and He's not coming back the way you think He is and all of these things. You know what? I found one thing that helps pass the time. Is take care of what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it won't be long before we hear that trumpet sound. We'll be out of here. Amen. But it was the fullness of the time. God had picked the time. And and it's amazing. Uh, I'm not against commentaries uh, per se. But you read what people say and they say, It was the perfect time in history when Jesus was born. We had the Roman peace and and they controlled the then known world and communication was open and secure and and there was all of these things. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of horrible things about was going on when Jesus was born. You know, people talk about slavery today. Hey, there were slave markets right there in the land of Israel. And if you were uh uh, condemned to certain kinds of uh, of of, uh, of uh, court judgments against you, you were sold like a piece of property in the market. There's nothing you can do about it. If you violated the Roman law, oftentimes you lost everything, including your life. I mean, this was a, a, a not a time that we would think of. But I want to tell you something. God wasn't waiting for the Romans to bring the Roman peace for Jesus to be born. God was directing the Romans to make the peace. God was in charge. He had control of events. And people often ask, why why does God, who is good, allow sin to happen? Well, let me ask you a question. If you weren't allowed to sin... If you weren't allowed to disobey God, what would your obedience be worth? I mean, under communism, you had that kind of freedom. You could vote for whoever you wanted, as long as it was the right candidate. If it wasn't the right candidate, the goon squad was waiting out back to uh, give you an education on why you should vote the way that you were told to vote. I mean, you could vote under any party you want, but it was all the same name now, wasn't it? 
Is that freedom? Do you know that the communist constitution is the only constitution in the world that has the statement in it, we guarantee the religious freedom of all of the people under our government? How many of you lived under communism? How much freedom did you have? Not very much. Let me tell you, man has always lied. But if God didn't allow a choice, then it would be slavery just like everybody else wants. He gives us a choice. He did it in time. He was in control of the events. And when that time came, an angel showed up and told Mary that she was going to have a son. It says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. Now, we, we, we think about this, we know this, but do we really understand? When we read in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we have the throne on which God is sitting. And it says, In the midst of the throne, there appeared a lamb as if it had been slain. Now, I don't know any artist that would even attempt to draw such a thing. And if they did, they couldn't do a very good job. Because, But if you could imagine the presence of Almighty God sitting upon a throne, And so around the throne is the four beasts. It says, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, there appeared a lamb as it had been slain. Superimposed. Right there in the middle of everything. In our world in which we live, we've got a rule. Two solid objects cannot occupy the same space. Every so often, the cars in New York City attempt that, and they find out it doesn't work. It's called an accident. Uh, Sometimes people will try to go through glass doors that they don't realize are there. You ever see anybody walk into a glass door? I mean, that is funny to watch, but when you do it, it's not funny. You're just sitting there going, hope nobody saw me do that. Good night. How dumb can I be? Uh... But here we have two solid objects occupying the same space. Because it's one God. And he left heaven's glory to be wrapped in human flesh. I met a fellow years ago and he liked to debate Christians. And this was part of his little spiel that he had worked up. Oh, he was so smart. Mary had to change God's diaper. That, that was part of his proof that Jesus couldn't be God. Let me ask you, how much intelligence does it come to figure that out? 
See, my Bible said that He is God. And that is the level that He had to condescend to to become man. You know what that spells to me? L-O-V-E. That spells love to me. You're more than welcome to your God that you can understand. I'll take mine that loves me so much that I can't explain it. And he did. He sent forth his son to become one of us. To limit himself as we are limited. To feel pain and suffering and yet be the eternal God. I want you to take your Bibles with me and just turn. Keep your finger in Galatians 4. We're coming back here, but just turn with me to John chapter 3 for just a moment. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here. And he's finishing his his speech to Nicodemus, not quite done, several more verses yet. But in verse 13, well, let's read verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Now, I want you to look very carefully at this last four words. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Do you get that? Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, I'm talking to you of earthly things. I'm talking to you how the physical birth and the spiritual birth parallel each other. And just like you have a physical birth to be a member of the human race, you need a spiritual birth to become part of God's family. He says, but I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't understand. How in the world are you going to understand when I talk to you about heavenly things? He said, nobody has seen heaven except the Son of Man, which came down from heaven and is, present tense, right while we speak, in heaven. God sent forth His Son. The omnipresent God, wrapped in human flesh. John Wesley, the founder of the Mormon, I mean Methodist, sorry, Methodist religion, tried to grapple with this thought, and this was what he came up with. He said that Jesus, in order to become a man, had to empty himself of his attributes as God. It's called the kenosis theory or understanding of God. Uh, I want to challenge you, if you have to empty yourself of something, divest yourself, then you don't possess it anymore. If you don't possess it anymore, you're not who you were. That's not the God of the Bible. Jesus did not stop 
being the omnipresent God when he was born as a babe in Bethlehem's manger, this verse says so. What did he do? He just covered it so that his holiness would not evaporate every sinner on the face of the earth. Somebody said, the Bible says no man can see God and live. How did Jesus walk the face of this earth and everybody live? Again, takes incredible intellect to get there, doesn't it? You have to want to not believe in Jesus to make those kind of statements. But the Bible tells us that he was sent forth from God to us. Don't you think God would take care of all those things so that he could walk among us? Can, can we trust God to do things the best way they can be done? You see, that's almost childish. Yes, it is. In fact, I had one guy saying, you guys are just so childish. Every impossible thing, you just say God. I said, amen. That's exactly right. I said, and you're so smart because you say we all got here by chance. I'd rather believe in God than believe in a cosmic roulette game. How about you? By the way, all you have to do is look at what's here and you can know that it could not possibly have gotten here by chance. But that's what people want to believe who deny God. He sent forth his son, the Bible says, made of a woman. Now, what that simply means is no human father. Here's how it was explained by the angel Gabriel and Luke. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. It says, made of a woman. Jesus' birth was different than any other birth that ever was. Now, some people have taken this to an extreme and have tried to venerate Mary and make her things that, that the Bible never intended her to be. We're, we're not here to venerate Mary. We're here to venerate Jesus Christ. Was Mary a great person? Oh, yes. She was highly favored of God. She was the one that God chose. She was the one that was living at the fullness of the time. And when God sent forth His Son, He chose Mary. But we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We don't ask her to help us with our sins. That's Jesus' job. I don't get this. They say, well, Mary encourages Jesus to love us. Wait a minute. Let's, let's go back a minute. How could you love us more than leaving heaven's glory and wrapping yourself in a human flesh? How could, the, how could you demonstrate love? Well, let me tell you how you can demonstrate love even more than that. It's called the old rugged cross. Jesus went there willingly for us. You see, He was sent forth by God. 
He was made of a woman, the Bible says, made under the law. Listen. You look at how God put this whole thing together. And we've been over this before, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded. In the Jewish culture, according to the Bible, when you were engaged, that was the marriage ceremony. What we would call the public ceremony today where people will go down in many parts of the world. Uh, you can't get married in a church. You have, if you're going to have a legal marriage, you've got to go down to City Hall and get married, and then uh, you come to the church and have the church ceremony. Uh, I, I like the way we do it here in the United States. I, I like the way we do it in New York City. In New York City, to perform solemnized marriages, you have to be recorded in a little book. But in order to get in that book, I, have to, I took a letter from the Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria and, and a copy of our uh, paperwork proving that we were a duly organized church functioning in New York City. And I showed this to the city clerk uh, at the Marriage Bureau in Manhattan. And he says, we recognize the request of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church to have their pastor solemnize marriages. I think that's pretty cool. That the government recognizes the authority of the church to solemnize marriages. I like that. That's the way it ought to be. Because marriage is something that God invented, not the state. And the only reason the state needs to get involved in your marriage is when you do things wrong. Amen? And so, we have made under the law. Mary was not just a single woman living on her own. She was engaged, espoused as our old King James word, to Joseph. And the Bible is very careful. Before they came together, see that engagement period was a time when the man had publicly pledged himself. Legally, they were married in order to be separated. It was a full-fledged divorce that had to be issued. Uh, and, and all of that went, had to be gone through. Joseph and Mary had pledged their lives to each other. And Joseph was doing the final preparation. He was fixing, uh, preparing the house, making sure that, uh, uh, that he would be able to support his wife in his uh, 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 financial dealings and his business. We know Joseph was a carpenter. He was taking care of all of these things and preparing to consummate the marriage when Mary would move into his house and, and, and uh, the entire process of this marriage would be fulfilled. And before they came together, she was legally married. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph didn't know what to do because he could not believe. He knew Mary. He could not comprehend that she had been unfaithful. That's why he was willing to put her away privately. He was trying to think how he was going to deal with this thing. And God appeared to him and says, Joseph, you have nothing to fear. Because this was done under the laws of God. And Joseph, as we preached about last Sunday, did not fear to take unto him Mary, his wife. 
He was not an old man just waiting to die who gave his name to this young little girl to save her from uh, society. That's, I don't know where that, that comes from people's imaginations. Mary and Joseph had already were espoused before this thing began. You can't say that Joseph came in out of the kindness of his heart to save Mary from a life of ill repute. No. That's, that's just fanciful blasphemy is where that comes in. Under the law, God waited until everything was in place. Then Gabriel shows up. Then Gabriel appears to Joseph in a dream. And all is fulfilled. In agreement with God's Word. Do you know... The Pharisees found fault with this thing. They also found fault when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. Though every one of them took care of their livestock on the Sabbath day because the law said that you had to take care of your animals. And when Jesus took care of people, they got upset. You know what? The whole purpose of this was to redeem them that are under the law. You see, the word redeem means to buy back, is to pay for. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Under the law, we are guilty of death, eternal separation from God. Because no matter how many sacrifices you offer, it will not take away the blood guilt of sin. That's why it's called atonement in the Old Testament. There was an agreement made that God said, listen, I'm going to roll back the penalty phase. I'm going to roll back the penalty phase. And every year this agreement was renewed with the blood sacrifice at the temple. Until the fullness of the time. When Jesus himself entered into the holy places in heaven and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, Hebrews chapter 9 says, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. If you want to think about something at Christmas time, this is what you need to be thinking about. You see, he wanted to redeem us. He paid the price for our sins that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, do you get that? God wants us to be in His family. He wants us to have a place at the table. If you've ever been in our apartment, we joke about our table quite a bit. It goes from 6 foot to 12 foot. And that depends on how many kids are at home. Amen? Or how many people are coming over. And things are changing. Because Sarah went and gave up her last name. I still don't know about that. No. We love Chad. And we're glad that they're coming. You know what? There's a place at the table. Even though her name is Hainline now. I, I, well, anyway. 
Uh, just tease it. Am I allowed to do that? There's a place at the table because they're part of the family. God says, there's a place at my table. You're, you're part of my family. He said, I've adopted you. I've bought you. I brought you in to my family. You're no longer a servant. You're no longer under instruction. You're no longer getting tests in having to do things and, and, and pass tests and give answers that are expected. We are moving past that stage. It is time to become a full member of the family, a, a legal person. And because ye are sons, the Bible says, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, again, this is talking about the Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It says, because Jesus came down and walked on this earth as much man as any human being sitting in this room and as much God as if he had never left heaven's shores. All at the same time. He's been here. And he says, I'm going to give you my spirit in your heart so that you will cry, Abba, Father. You know, I I like it when my children call me Daddy. Father is kind of formal. But I, I like Daddy. I don't like Pop. I just never have liked that one. But that's what Abba means. It's the intimate term. It says he sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we often have so much struggle trying to live the Christian life and trying to do what God wants us to do. And so much of that struggle would just go away if we would stop trying to be worthy to be his son. That was the prodigal's plea. If we would stop trying to be good enough, that was really the rich young ruler's plea. And and can I just use this term? Just sit on his lap and live as his son, as his child. You see, this is the most natural thing that a little child does. Even little babies, when they're born, just a few days after they're born, they recognize mom and dad's voices because they've been, if they're together and been there and talk, you you know, there's, uh, now don't go up to some 
woman with child and talk to her belly. Don't you do that. That's not your place. But that's where mom and dad ought to be doing. Amen? They recognize that voice. They know it. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is what it means by His Spirit living in us. And, And if you really want to enjoy what Christmas is all about, stop going all the cute little baby in the manger. And just try to spend a little time with our Heavenly Father. As a little boy, I love sitting on my father's lap. And there's very few things in this life I enjoy than having my little boys sit on my lap. Now, if Andrew did that, I don't know that I would enjoy that. But every once in a while, one of them will come up and try to uh, have a little bit of fun. But uh, let let me tell you something. You never get too big sit in God's lap. You never get too big to enjoy that close fellowship as a little child. Do you think that's what Jesus meant when he said, except you be converted and become as little children? That's what I believe it is. You know, there's too many of us that tried to grow up and be mature Christians when what God really wants us to do is be that little child. you think we could work on that this Christmas? Would you think about that? You see, God sent forth His Son. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, comma, we're still going, same sentence, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see, God worked His plan, His way, in His time. What He wants you and I to do in our time is stop trying to be His helpers. Stop trying to be His servant. And start just being His son. You know what? A son that loves his father naturally imitates his father. Can't stop it. Just going to happen. I don't know how many people on campus when we were there at Heartland came up and said, your son looks just like you. I'm going, which one? And they were all talking about Stephen. Now, if I were to name one that looked a little bit more like me than others, uh, I don't know that he'd be the top of the list. But 
He was the one that was on campus. And so that's the one. You know, and that brings joy to my heart. Don't you want to bring joy to God's heart? Let this, the Spirit is there. It says if you're saved, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, He sent forth that Spirit. Will you let the Spirit do His work? And stop trying so hard. Stop fighting and fussing. And just be still. And know that I am God. That was the psalmist's words. is to let that closeness develop that God wants to be there. I'll tell you this. If you think about that, you'll have the best Christmas you ever did. Whether there's anything under the tree or not. Whether anybody gets you a present or not. Because if you're close to God and enjoying His love, What more could you ask for? But I'll tell you what, that's the key that opens the door to have fellowship and relationship with other human beings that is closer than the normal family unit. When you get a whole bunch of people together that are just loving God, let me tell you something. Great things happen. That was why the early church was as strong and as powerful as it was. They didn't have all these complicated things to worry about. They were just concerned about one thing. The spirit of his son crying to God the Father, Abba, Father. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us see past ourselves, past our understanding, and past all these things to just experience the love that you have for us, that you so desperately want us to, to, to understand and to live. Lord, we pray if there be one here that's not sure about what salvation even is and we haven't spent much time on that today but Lord that they would be willing to let somebody take the Bible and just show them what it means we ask for your grace to worship you as you would have us to worship you crying Abba Father in your name we pray As Andrew comes and leads a hymn of invitation, if you need to come, the altar is open.